right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Got an awesome, awesome interview here with Jordan Spieth. I believe this is the third time he has joined us on the podcast. Uh, great insight ahead of the AT&T Byron Nelson this coming week. Big shout out to AT&T for helping us arrange this interview. And speaking of which, AT&T is proud to support the North Texas community as title sponsor for the seventh year of the AT&T Byron Nelson, which benefits Dallas-based Momentus Institute the Momentus Institute serves over 6,000 children and family members directly each year through therapeutic and educational programs and shares in the belief and commitment to providing equal opportunity through education. AT&T is committing to bridging the digital divide in the communities they serve through combining AT&T's low-cost broadband service offerings with community investment. They're building on their contribution of $1 billion over the last three years toward helping the nation's most vulnerable communities, and they're investing another $2 billion over the next three years. AT&T is dedicated to doing their part to bring affordability, educational resources, and economic opportunity to the millions of Americans who don't have broadband connectivity today. And at this year's AT&T Byron Nelson, they're going to continue their commitment to connected learning and bridging the digital divide with a special element of competition on the course, AT&T Birdies for Students. Every birdie or better on the 17th hole, AT&T will pledge $2,500 towards student connectivity. So root for every player to have a birdie or better on hole 17. And for all you Jordan Spieth fans out there, you won't see Jordan Spieth sporting his famous AT&T golf bag at the Byron Nelson. During the tournament, he'll be carrying a bag designed by the winner of the AT&T Artistic Drive Contest, a competition that gave fans the opportunity to submit their own bag designs for Jordan. So be sure to tune in and check that out. Without any further delay, here's our interview with Jordan Spieth. All right, so when we chatted about two years ago, we broke down some of your swing feels, swing thoughts. Some I, I got a couple messages from people calling it a therapy session, whether or not you were you know, laying on a couch as we did that. But I'm wondering if your perspective has changed at all with your recent success over you know, where you ended up landing with your swing with all the things you had going on in spring of 2019 and uh, how you knew it was where you uh, ended up wanting to be. Yeah, I would say looking back, it was a therapy session. That's kind of a good call. I was kind of searching myself while convincing myself of some things without necessarily knowing for sure, I guess. But yeah, it's been a really fun year. I feel like, you know, last December, I kind of just hit the reset button, took a month off from the game and said, coming back, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm done with kind of how I was approaching the game of golf and I needed to, I needed to make an adjustment and just really just went back to the drawing board, went back in time and built a plan up that I was going to go full all in on instead of bailing on and going back, you know, day to day and changing things that I was going to go all in on no matter what. And however long it took, it was going to take. And Fortunately, um, it's been a really good kind of start to the spring uh, this year. You know, my first event, I missed the cut in Torrey Pines and was pretty down on myself. You know, I was kind of hoping to just get off to just a great start, but re rebounded really nicely before Phoenix and got over there and got to got to work without taking any days off and said, you know, it's not going to get in on its own. You got to put in the hours and 
and then from there, it's really been a, a really fun and good stretch of golf. But it was really just going back in time for me. It was going back. And I'm not talking about going back to like 2015 or 2017. I'm talking about going back to like rookie year, going back to when I was 15, 16 years old, looking at the DNA of what I did well and why I did it well. Back then it was, you know, just go play. But I needed to structurally uh, move things back to my DNA. Uh, you know, when you watch like Justin, when he's swinging, he's always got his dad there checking on things that it's his swing. He's not trying to do anything crazy or fancy, but he's never really getting far off because they're always just staying within the parameters, working, work, tipping the scale just a little bit here or there. And it's, and, and it's that's similar to how it used to be for me, and it, I just needed to get back to there. Hmm. Well, so when you look at your swing now and, you know, compare it to whatever, you know, you had great, great ball striking years in 2017 and 2015 and the way you described it previously, it sounded like you had different feels for those years. But when you compare it to now to, to that timing, do you feel like a different golfer? Do you feel like you're swinging the club differently than you did back then? Maybe it's some of that same DNA you're talking about, but you know, it, it kind of looks different to me. It looks like you're rehearsing different things, but I'd love to hear you explain what that swing looks and feels like to you compared to, you know, prior successful swings. Um, yeah. So what I, the way I, my swing feels throughout, you know, different periods of time were very different from each other. In fact, even opposites at times, even though, and that's what I mean by tip the scale a little here or there, I might get a little bit laid off and have to feel support of the club. And then I might get a little over supported and feel like I can flatten the shaft a bit back then and it would just barely tip it a little bit here or there but structurally all the major things were um were very similar and so now it's been about trying to get trying to get steeper into the backswing and then shallow the club transitionally so I can burn and turn and that's really my DNA I just did it really well I swung in front of my body meaning my arms never got too high or too um be, or too behind me too deep they stayed kind of in front of my chest as I supported the club going back. And then when I started transitionally to turn, it lagged the club into the ball where I could turn and burn and hit this nice compressed, you know, very straightish starting ball flight with, you know, a little bit of turn right to left or a little bit of turn left to right. But I could manipulate the club a lot for the ball to move a very little bit when I'm in that position. And so that's just um, what that, I mean, essentially that just puts it in a, uh, where your misses are just tighter and tighter. And then when you're on, it just, it just feels great through the ball. It's almost like for me trying to get it to feel, you know, how, when you see pros and, and really high quality amateurs hit like 70 yard, you know, those low kind of very straight, like open face, but those low nip shots where they take that one hop forward and then they just stop on a dime. I'm kind of trying to get that feel through the bag. And that happens from getting kind of my arms out in front of me uh, with the club lag behind so I can get my chest open to the target and burn and turn. And um, it's been very difficult. And, and even, you know, I mean, even coming off a session today, I mean, I'm, I feel like I've tipped the scales since the masters significantly better, but still can't get it structurally to look like it has been. And, and that's okay because for me, I'm working kind of impact backwards instead of being just overly focused on how things look and compare. It's more, well, you know what? That didn't quite look like that, but I got it to the right place and I produced the right ball flight. And I feel like I could do that again if I stepped over it. And and that's been the key to success for me. It's just been tighter start lines because of where I'm positioning the club 
um, as it's coming into impact. Yeah, I remember you saying that you were, you know, initially at least part of the reason for some things maybe going awry was you wanted your backswing to look like Adam Scott. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it now it sounds, sounds like basically what you just said, you're very comfortable with your backswing looking like whatever it looks like as long as your, uh, long as your feels and, and whatnot and your misses are right. And it seems like, did you feel when things were not going your way that you were especially held back with driver? Because it felt like, you know, your iron swing was maybe not not totally dialed, but it seemed like the driver was the big question mark. Your birdie percentage was always really good. You just had, you know, your bogey percentage was just not within the the realm of what you're used to. What's your relationship like now with driver? Because, I mean, if I'm watching Valero, I root for you, of course. That's very evident to anyone that follows this podcast. But, like, I, I didn't even break a sweat at Valero. Like, it felt like you were totally dialed in control, and it seems like that's come a long way. Yeah, well, I mean the driver just goes the furthest. So if you're behind it and you're launching it a degree off, a degree off of the seven iron is this edge of the green, but a degree off with the driver. I mean, if, especially if you're lining up to play a ball flight is, uh, you know, 20 yards offline just to start. So it's really just, it gets heightened as it goes up the bag and that's anybody. I mean, even like Bryson at the speeds he's at now, you know, it, it just, it's harder and harder to hit it straighter because that one degree if it's off is further offline. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, it's, as he would put it, it's science. Um, so it was, it was really, you know, the five iron was better than the four iron, the four iron was better than the hybrid, you know, and up the back. So, you know, you're trying to hit the driver harder than you're trying to hit your irons. And that's just gonna kind of disconnect things just a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, it was, um, now, I mean, as, as things are, I feel like I've got a ball flight I can play. And I think that's really key. Like as I'm still working to try and get things where I want them to get, and it still is a work in progress. I feel like if I need to go, if I need a shot, uh, with the driver, I can hit it. And that's been this very opened up kind of trap fade. And then if it's mishit, it still holds in the fairway. And when it's struck well, it comes out as this kind of low cut, you know, kind of a punch cut shot that, Again, I'm not going to play that every time because it, you know, it's not necessarily called for on a lot of holes. But if I need a ball um, to go in the fairway under pressure, regardless of kind of uh, the timing of the swing, I know that if I if I get cleared out and open and I'm leaning that shaft in, I'm going to be able to hit that ball flight. And I think that in itself is enough of a confidence boost for me to just feel that much more freedom on the course to where um, I can put four, I've been able to put four rounds together instead of putting, you know, two and a half and having, you know, three bad nine holes that, that don't allow me to win a golf tournament, which is kind of, I think the difference in this year versus previous years is, you know, I'd shoot three over on a nine holes. And unfortunately you shoot three over one time on nine holes at at most of these golf tournaments, you're really coming from behind. I mean, to to try and win. So uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, the relationship is, is really through the bag. And it's just a matter of, again, for me, when I'm dialing in kind of these half swing wedge shots, and I feel like I'm really getting that tempo down on the range, I can start to carry that up through the bag and then take it onto the golf course. Yeah, gosh, that all that unpacking all that makes makes a ton of sense as to why we saw flashes of brilliance, you know, in, in what we would call a downtime in your career yet, you know, the finishes didn't quite fully follow. But you know, we, we've got to see so much of, we, we see your performance, right? That's the only thing fans really get to see, 
you know, when you're putting your game on exhibition, but I want you to help me paint the picture for what the work has looked like. I mean, is it, have your hours in, you know, in the lab with Cameron and, and the guys at Altus, have that gone up? Is it a ton of film study, a ton of drills, just like trying out different things, maybe hammering in the same things? I just want to know what, what the part that people haven't seen looks like and whether, you know, those sessions have gotten longer, more frustrating, you know, more agonizing or more helpful. I, I just, I'm very curious as to how that goes. Yeah, it's one of those where I kind of, I mean, I'm a pretty private person as far as it comes to practice or even just anything in personal life and all that. But part of me kind of wishes that, and it, and I'm hopeful that it would be actually something that, that would be um, of interest to people, but it is that there was just someone with a, with a camera and a microphone on kind of the last few years. I mean, it, hopefully someday coming out of it, it's, it's something I can look back on and say, man, I mean, this was this was crazy. I remember this. It was so frustrating. So many days where I, you know, sleepless nights where I just, I, I got to get back to the range. I got to try and figure this out and, and just continuing for the first time in my life to not be able to, to do, to, to figure something out what had come pretty easy to me for a long time. And, uh, I mean, that's, I was very fortunate that, that that was, that it took, you know, that I'd had so much success that I can, you know, use for confidence to say, Hey, I have this that works. I did this really well. I've done, I, if I do this, I know that I can be the best in the world because I've, I've done it before. And now if anything, you know, there's just extra scar tissue. I just, I've learned more about what my tendencies are and I know how to handle kind of a bad swing or a bad shot better than, than I did before because I've, I've just got more knowledge on the matter. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. It's just, it's like any like bell curve it's like um as it's going down it's like man it just seems like it's going down it's going down and then at some point you know you don't know where that bottom is but um when it starts to come back up it's like every day just seems to move it the right direction move the and all of a sudden you like what's weird is when things are going and i guess it's not weird it's probably what you'd expect but when things are starting to go well and you're starting to feel momentum I don't feel the pressure to want to go to the range after I shoot, you know, four or five under, I'm like, you know what? I feel good about this. I'm going to be in contention. I need to save energy. And you end up working smarter when, when you get, when you feel the little bit momentum versus when it's a little bit off, you feel like you put in more hours, but don't really get anything out of it. And then, um, that rest and recovery, uh, where you're like, okay, you know, it could have been better. I, I'm going to try and tip it, you know, 1% more tomorrow. Um, but I, I don't need to go do that right now because what I have is good enough right now. And if I can get 1% better each day, you know, I'm going to, I, I, you start to, you start to see the positive, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel and it actually makes you more patient and work even smarter. And I think that's been kind of, um, I've kind of picked my spots where my hands are bleeding at the end of the day, instead of, you know, going out and, um, sunrise to sunset to try and figure something out i hope that answers what you're saying No, it does no it really it really does i mean it's you know just putting in more hours does not you know at any level does not necessarily translate to to immediate success but if i may say every time i talk to Corey or anyone there at altus they were steadfast at all times never wavering that you were close to the point where i was finally like as a fan of yours i was kind of like all right well I mean, are they just, you know, spewing this at me just to keep my, keep my confidence up high? But did you feel that kind of confidence from within the team? You know, because, you know, looking back at it now, it's like, wow, they were right. Like he was on this path and, and, he, and he's come out of it. But th- internally, did you feel that? Yeah, it, it's also um, it's also hard when you're 
when you're kind of down on yourself, sometimes the, like, it, it's really nice to have people in your corner that are, that have confidence in you and stuff like that. But it's also almost easier to be alone at times because you can't figure it out yourself. And you're like, maybe you, and you're like, well, I don't necessarily know if you know what the problem is. So I don't really want to hear it from you right now. <laughs> um, even though it's all supportive and it's, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of odd. And, you know, from again, as I mentioned before, the team that, that I have around me has, I, in, in my opinion is, is the, are they're the best at what they do in the world. And I've, it's been proven to me. I mean, I've seen that I've seen them all in action take, um, I've seen Michael in situations where he knew exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And it just flipped the switch for me, um, on a stretch of holes that made a difference in a tournament. You know, I've seen Cameron problem solve something that's like, wow, in the next 10 days, I went from feeling like, man, I, I didn't have that shot to, I'm going to hit that shot under pressure to win a golf tournament. So it, it, you just, um, my confidence never wavered in the team, but sometimes you don't necessarily like, you just kind of, it was hard. It was almost like just easier to, to try and solve it on my own, even though that's not the answer. You just almost want to dig through it and feel like, um, and, and so once I started to open up and just rely on some other people and really let them in, it, it was, it actually really, really helped turn things around for me. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Precision Pro Golf. Our listeners can add the NX9 Slope Rangefinder to their golf bag this year for $20 off. Use coupon code NOLAYINGUP at checkout. Again, $20 off their most advanced rangefinder, the NX9 Slope. All of us here at No Laying Up use the NX9 Slope. It's got a very sleek, kind of lightweight black and green design. It really stands out. Get a lot of comments on it. It's got a crystal clear display, slope adjusted distances. It's got target lock. It's got the pulse vibration it's a very just a very satisfying tool to use it's got the built-in magnet so you can slap it right there on your cart and not only that they offer the best customer service of any rangefinder you're going to find if you call them a real person who is a real golfer is going to answer and is eager to help you as well they also only rangefinder that comes with lifetime battery replacements that saves you a ton of money annually on these little annoying little small batteries that these rangefinders require so again Add the NX9 slope to your golf bag. Go to precisionprogolf.com. Use coupon code NOLANGUP at checkout for $20 off our favorite range finder, the NX9 slope. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Let's get back to Jordan Spieth. Well, on, on the Greller note, I want to I want to talk a bit about your relationship with Michael and what that's been like over the last few years. I think I feel like we've kind of watched, you know, on TV, your guys, uh, at least what we were, were able to see, uh, you know, grow up in front of our eyes. But if I may say, it doesn't always seem, at least from watching on TV, it doesn't seem like you guys are always on the same page, right? Even as your game has improved, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of back and forth. It's a fascinating dynamic to watch. And I'm just wondering if you could add some color as to how that, you know, relationship has developed over the last decade. It's, um, you know, there's certainly been, you know, when you got a microphone on you all the time, there's certainly been clips and there's been times where I've certainly regretted the way I've approached situations. And it's interesting because, you know, before you have a caddy in junior golf and college golf, like you run into where you're really upset, but you got no one's there. Right. So you're just you're holding it into yourself or you're just letting it out for a second or you're, you know, hitting your club on the ground and then you're kind of done with it. But now you got someone to just talk to about everything. And and at times it's, it's really helpful, but at times it's, it's also, I can get into kind of negative banter, um, because what I would normally be able to just kind of compartmentalize and just figure out by the next shot, I feel like I got to like justify it to Michael, you know, he's on the team and I'm like, 
I feel like I got to justify something to him. And I, I run into this with him a lot. And we've, we've kind of developed a system where if it feels like I've just been kind of over talking, he's got like a, like a safe word where he just, he says something and he's like, uh, and then it's, you know, I can't, I can't talk anymore until the next shot. And it's only when it's gone really overboard and he knows what it is. And it's only when I'm just repeating myself and I'm, and I'm just going in a circle. And a lot of times he'll remind me, cause I mentioned this to him. I played with Tiger when he was really, I've been paired with Tiger a lot of it, but, but I played with him quite a few times when he was really, really struggling, like in the 2015, 16 frame into 14, you know, he's trying to come back and, and he had, he, he was really struggling chipping and, and just, you know, wasn't playing very well. And out of every single round I play with him, I never heard him say one negative thing. Now he was, he was mad and he would, you know, he would drop an F-bomb or he would, you know, but it was never a negative comment about himself. And he's the only person I played with that I can say that about, including myself. And I, I just thought that that was so intriguing that I've never heard him say one negative thing about, and he clearly, you know, and his, he's human. So in his, as much as we kind of don't believe that he, you know, in his head, you know, he's probably thinking, man, I, I can't chip right now or whatever. And, but he'll never say it out loud and he'll never let it kind of take over him at all at any period of time. And I just, we, we draw back on that a lot. And Michael mentioned that a lot when, when I'm kind of getting into that um, frame of mind, but it's fun talking through shots and situations with him. We've had the highest highs and some of the lowest lows together. And, and there's no one else I'd rather you know, on the bag, um, when it's, when it's crunch time on a Saturday or a Sunday and I, and I'm trying to do a little too much or, you know, I'm asking a question about what's behind that pin. Um, and he paints a clear picture for me to to feel that confident going into it. So it's certainly been a challenge. I mean, you know, he, from his perspective, you know, he had some big years and, you know, a couple kids and then all of a sudden, you know, we didn't make a lot of money, um, on the golf course the last couple of years relative to, um, previous years. And that certainly will, would affect him more than it would myself just in percentages. And, and so for me, you know, even though he, he's never once made me feel that way, but I feel like kind of responsible. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I trust me, I want, I want to win. I want you to have everything that you want to have and all that. And, um, anyway, we've had some really, really good talks. He came in over the break as well. Um, to work a little bit, see what we were working on. And I, we just really got established in a, in a really good game plan to where we can just kind of both freewheel it. We know how to approach each situation. We just, we dialed it in ahead of time, almost like a class, you know, we almost just went over a syllabus, All right, When this happens, this is what we do. When this happens, this is what we do. And we kind of study it and, and we're good to go. Do you, do you ever wear yourself out on, cause it seems you're kind of like me in a certain regard. You feel, I feel like you live and die with almost every shot. And, <laughs> and I'm wondering if, if, if that does anything to your energy level when you have kind of some of these up and down rounds where you're scrambling from all over the place, you know, it, it just, I feel like Greller is there to kind of take some of that energy on, I guess. But do you ever feel like you kind of maybe put too much stress or emphasis on, on a shot by shot. I mean, I just don't know how you have the mental energy to last that for 72 holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or 25 years. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I really don't now. That's been the number one advantage that's come out of struggling for a little while is now, you know, I'll get into a situation where I hit a shot and it's a bad shot and I'm like, Oh boy, you know, be, you know, be okay. Or I know that it's going to be, and I actually, I mean, and this is, I'm talking 2021, 
it's been so totally different in my, I'm like, all right, well, I hit it there. You know, what else is there to do? And I, I think that when I went from, you know, not really, one of my biggest advantages for a lot of years was that I really just, my misses were very tight. I never got into too much trouble and I normally missed them to where it was a very doable up and down with very few um, more than bogeys on a, on a card um, for a number of years. And then I got to where I could, you know, I, I unfortunately could make plenty of big numbers and, you know, I've made some big numbers certainly in, in those times, but as a whole, you know, for, it, it, it was more rare. So I think after kind of living and dying a lot with just, and, and really a lot of that was knowing that around the corner there was a foul ball and I, and, and it's almost like, man, I, I need to be perfect until that happens. And, um, it's just such a awful way to have to do your job. And I think just feeling like, okay, if I do this and this, I know I can, I, I've got that shot. I, I've just, I'm like, I'm gonna, I've just gotten to a point where I feel like I'm, I, I feel like I'm playing golf again, where I feel like, okay, I'm actually, you know, I'm seeing that tree. I'm going to work it off that tree to that tree. And, and, um, you know, if it, if I make the perfect swing, great. If I don't, I know that, I, I'm going to get the club into a position where it needs to. And, and this is the feel into the ball to produce this. And it, it just seems like, why wouldn't she have done that, you know, years ago? And it, it's just, it's just more complicated than that. It's, it just is. And I mean, you're, I mean, you would know as somebody who, you know, plays a lot of golf rounds. I mean, you can, it can feel like a left-handed hockey stick in your hand sometimes. And, uh, and then when you do that thousands of times the wrong way, um, it takes a little time to kind of tip it back the right way. Well, that's what's so fascinating and why I'm spending the majority of my time with you talk, breaking this down is at the highest level, trying to find the, because your, your, your bad years, if we can call them that, were not, they were like positive strokes gained, I think, in every one of the years, right? So we're not talking about somebody completely losing their, their ability to play the game, but when you got to number one in the world, you're just viewed through a totally different lens, both by people like me and just for yourself. So your expectations change and all that. And what I find to be the the craziest and hardest thing is at your level, when you have done it to that level of success, even when you're playing great, you are going to have a week where things don't go good, right? But your game is still there, but there's no way to know that that week was maybe the start of a downturn. So you don't know if you need to change anything. You don't know you know, if any, you know, you need to touch anything up, if you need to do this, this and this, or you, or if you show it back up the next week, you got it right. So that's what like identifying issues and fixing them at the highest level has to be so challenging. I'm, and I'm wondering if you feel like you've learned anything about go, that process now that you're able to identify stuff faster. If, if things do get off track in the future, looking forward, that's what I'm maybe most optimistic about is I'm like, man, I just feel like, um, and, and, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. Uh, like, I think it was a Phil Mickelson and I'm name dropping in here shamelessly talking about how you kind of need to be on one end of the spectrum or the other. You need to be on either. Yeah. I don't necessarily care how I do that. I point aim shoot and it's how I go about it. I don't need to know, you know, wrist angles, arm angles, forearm roll, all that kind of stuff. You're a la DJ, right. Who's going to just step up. He's like, all right, I got to chip this nine iron with, trouble. Okay. I'll just chip the nine iron and, and hit it closer. All right. You need me to just peel this fade right here. All right. I'm going to do that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have your like Tiger Woods or, or your Bryson where, you know, you, you know exactly what you do to the T, 
and that doesn't mean that you're not still a field player. It just means that you have that you you just done the research and figured it out. And I think I got stuck in the middle there. It's trying so to hard to be in the middle of that. That's what I was going to say. And when you're in the middle, it's like, all right. Um, it, unfortunately, I'm not point aim shoot, but I don't necessarily have the answers. And you just that's when you get to second guessing and, and hesitation. And like any sport, I mean, if you're if you're doing that as a basketball player, I mean, you're not going to have a very long shelf life you know, I'm catching and firing, or this is what I do in my stroke. And, and I'm going to work on it with, with that. And I think most, most other sports are reactive. So it's a little easier to just be on the, you know, even baseball. Now there, there's so much, you know, analytical data for um, swings, but I'd be interested to ask Mike Trout if he cares at all, you know, because he, he swings the way he swings. He's the best player in the world. Does he know everything that he does or not? You know, where does he fall on that spectrum? And, so it's really interesting. And I just felt like I've needed to, and I'm still, still need to still shift that way, but I kind of moved along that spectrum. You know, I think optimistically looking forward, once you get to the point where uh, you feel that you can self-diagnose uh, an issue when you do have a bad week or two, uh, and it's not, you know, I hit putts that didn't go in kind of situation. Instead, you know, you felt pretty off. Um, when you when you can do that and self-diagnose and be able to get a couple rain session in and and get back on track, I think that's that's the ultimate goal is to be able to do that ideally by feel. And then if you need a little bit of video to um, to maybe diagnose like, all right, yeah, okay, that that is exactly what I feel that my feels match the video. okay. But I think less video and more off of feel and self-diagnosis on on these things that I'm, on recognizing what you do well and why. Last two questions on this, and we can move on to some some more fun stuff. Actually, this is fun stuff. I mean, we're talking about you playing good golf now, but in everything we've talked about so far, I never heard I never heard you say bone chip. How big of a deal was that? <laughs> it's hard to tell. Uh, it's hard to tell. You know what all it it affect it, how long and and for, so it was in 2018, and I resisted strengthening my grip. And I already play with a relatively weak grip, and there's a lot of you know half and half probably play with weak or neutral grips. But I didn't have, I don't have any room to go weaker. I couldn't get my grip anywhere within, I mean, I want to say in December, I strengthened it. Um, and you can measure this on the gears um, system. And I, I want to, I mean, you could probably confirm with either Corey or Cameron, but somewhere in eight to 10 degrees in grip strength, which if we as professionals move it two degrees, we feel like we're going to hook it off the planet. Um, this was an eight to 10 degree shift uh, that, is just absurd and and very difficult for weeks to hit balls on the range and and that's why I didn't play. I anyway, I, I had it taped up a lot at the Ryder Cup in 2018. I didn't I finished 31st and didn't make it to East Lake. I was the only one on the team that didn't make it to East Lake. I had such a great 2017 that I made the Ryder Cup team and I mean it was, you know, it was I I couldn't move it there and I was just playing with an open face. And then when you're playing with an open face, you end up then doing other things in the swing to compensate. And for me, that was backing out of it to give the club face time to catch up and close. And so once you start getting into that um, routine, you're not doing what I mentioned before, which is clearing out with a, with a stronger face and some shaft lean, a la Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, who have a ton of shift to the, or even like a David Duvall, if you want to go back in time, strong faced, heavy club lean, these are great ball strikers. 
um, and something that you see within the majority, almost all great ball strikers have that to them. And I was essentially moving for quite a while, moving the other direction because I had to. And because my face was weak, because my grip was weak. So it's hard to say exactly because it didn't necessarily bother me. And I did some work on it and rested it and all that in end of 2018 into 2019. But I think I had kind of um, really fallen off from there structurally. And this was me fighting, you know, Cameron was like, Hey, you need to strengthen the script. You need to do this. And I'm like, dude, I get to the four iron and you know, I've got to stop hitting. And so there was, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't something I needed to make a big fuss out of because I didn't realize what it was doing and how I could have maybe gone about it and cleaned it out and taken that time off and said, if I was in the position I'm in now uh, and I couldn't get to positions in the swing because my hand wouldn't let me, then there's no use in, in, in not, you know, doing something about it. But with a lack of knowledge and, and all that, and then fighting Cameron a bit at the time, you know, I, I kind of ended up in a bad spot. And then lastly, this is, I feel like it's been kind of whack-a-mole on my front trying to you know, shut people down that keep, seem to keep saying this. But can you just clarify what your relationship is with Butch Harmon and how kind of weird that was reported uh, in, in the last few months? Um, yeah, so I, I went to see him when we played the Vegas event. And I told Cameron ahead of time, and I said, hey, I'm going to go get a, a second opinion. I'm going to go see Butch for a lesson. And, um, and he was you know, he was perfectly fine with it. And, um, I said, I, I just really think I need uh, to hear a different voice right now and just kind of see if there's anything there that, cause he's always, you know, I've known him since my rookie year and he's watched a lot of golf and he, he had reached out, I think through bones to, to Michael and said, you know, I don't want to overstep anything here. I think that I can help. And I'm one of a number of, uh, actually there's a number of, big, um, names, not, I'm not, I guess that's a bad way to say that about myself, but you know what I mean? There's a, there's a number of guys who have won major championships that you'd have no idea that have gone in to see him periodically, um, a time or two. And I didn't know that till I got there. And yeah, so I, I saw him, I saw him once and, and stayed in touch and, and, you know, talked to him on the phone a couple other times about just some things. And, and he's such a, um, such a simple, uh, concept guy a lot of body movement stuff. I mean, he's taught a lot of very different golf swings from Mickelson to Tiger to Adam. I mean, you've got very different moves. Uh, and, but one thing, I mean, he really just had, he was like, Hey, you know, there's a few things that, you know, I think are a little bit different. Um, you fixed a couple of them, but there's a couple others and, and it's really just, um, body movement stuff. And, and I thought that it was very helpful at the time and I was glad I went there and, um, and then I took that back, you know, to Cam and said, Hey, this is what he, this is what Butch said. And, you know, I want to, I want to work on this. This is how it felt when I played the next six rounds and, uh, how, and then let's work on the structure as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I was obviously trying to do it quietly, but at some point, you know, a couple people see it happening or take a picture or something like that. And, but it wasn't like I was trying to, you know, it was just more like, I didn't want to have to go explaining it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that is the the color we were looking for there. So now moving ahead to 2021 Masters, what, what's your gut reaction when I say 2021 Masters? Is it is it some some joy that came with T3 or some frustration that uh, you didn't end up slipping on the green jacket? Uh, so I knew, you know, I, I felt like I, I putted well um, at 
San Antonio, I think I was top 10 strokes gained for the week, which you normally have to be somewhere up there to win. And then I went to Augusta and I, my stroke felt the same, felt like I burned a lot of edges, which is not normal for my history there. But I get back a couple of weeks later, I go in to see Cam and he's like, yeah, I mean, you were 50th out of 54 in strokes gained putting. And I finished three shots off of a win at Augusta. And that, when I look back, that's frustrating. <laughs> that, that pissed me off a bit. Um, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I was 50th out of 54 guys in strokes game putting at Augusta. They don't measure it on a, on a tour app, but you still can still get Brody's um, reports. And that was the worst I've ever putted at Augusta without really feeling like I didn't putt well. And it was just one of those weeks where edges got burned. You know, I made a couple of mistakes, but I, I made enough birdies anyways um, and hit enough good shots to where you can win with a couple of mistakes. I made a triple on nine and in the first round and stuff like that. But uh, man, I, that's a long answer to it. it I was frustrated <laughs> no, that you went straight to putting. I was going to say that answers the question. Cause if you went straight to the putting, Bizarre, and I think, man. well, it, it seemed like from watching the, the years I remember you being really successful on those greens, which has been pretty much every one you had the speed dialed. Everything fell in at the exact right speed and the speed of the greens and the crispiness of the greens just seemed different this year that you had to put it a little bit more defensively. You had to, it almost seems like at times you can take some break out. You can kind of choose the speed that you want to hit a putt at Augusta. And this year it felt like, no, 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 you got to get it right. And it's got to be drip speed. Is that, am I onto something there? Well, and and that, like, if you gave me the option, I would choose that route a hundred out of a hundred times. Give me the firmest, fastest, drippiest. That's where I want it. The problem was, is I, I, I didn't putt well in the first round. And really, you know, I didn't quite get things going through the first couple rounds. And then um, the speed changed when the weather came in and I was already starting to then be a little bit more less committed through my stroke. You know, I saw a couple, you know, that master's app is great. And so you can look back and it was nice to see a couple angles on some putts I missed so that I could try and adapt for the next day. You know, it's got to be a pretty good angle to be able to tell, but I've seen enough strokes on TV or, um, or apps or, or whatever where I'm like, okay, that one actually, okay, I, I look like I committed that one or I look like I, I backed off. And then I also remember how I felt over it. So I'm doing all that, you know, just, you know, after the first round or something. And, and I'm like, okay, I look like I got a lot more tentative within my own stroke, just having the ball not go in and, and a little more frustrated um, on the greens and less kind of walking like that cockiness walking into it. Like, all right, you know, this is going to drop in the dead center and more of the like, man, I'm going to hit it out here and I hope that it falls. Uh, and then when I got, I got messed up a little bit when that rain came in on Saturday and I think I had two, three putts from leaving them short on the back nine and in a time where I really needed to make a move to, to be within, you know, three or four shots of a decky going into Sunday and very well could have. And I think that's what really, really hurt me there. It kind of built up the first couple rounds and then, I got to where I just didn't make an adjustment. And I mean, when that rain came in, they, they were a solid two feet slower just within two hours. And, you know, that sometimes can be a tough adjustment to make out there when you're used to dialing in, um, you know, certain putts going towards race Creek. You're like, all right, that can get away from me and get to six, seven feet quickly. And then you leave it four feet short. You're like, oh man, it was just one of those kind of weird, you know, you walk off and you're like, all right, I'm not going to like red flag my putting, but I'm a little frustrated that this is the one week I really wanted to be there. And I would have traded it for the week before, um, in a heartbeat. Um, but you know, it, that's what happens. 
And I know it doesn't work this way, but when you won Valero, I was almost mad because I was like, you're going to be my pick to win the Masters <laughs> anyways. But I was like, ah, winning Valero, it just makes it unlikely that he's going to win two in a row. And do you, But do you still feel crazy confidence when you go to Augusta, or do you feel almost kind of the weight of expectations of, of knowing you have a great track record somewhere? Does that change you know, how, how you expect to perform in any way? I'm wondering what that balance looks like. I mean, this year it was just contain my excitement because right. I'm, I'm finally going back in form. And I've almost, I mean, in 2018, I was all over the map and, and lost by two shots. I couldn't putt it in the ocean in other tournaments around there. And I, I mean, I hit some shots that week that, you know, in the trees on right on one and the trees right on two. I mean, shots I'd never hit before. And I finished two shots away from, from winning. And so I don't feel like I have to have form going in there. And there's a few courses like that. And everyone on tour has that, you know, you see guys play really well at, at similar places. And I, I just feel lucky that I've kind of had that track record there at Augusta. But this year it was like, all right, let's not overdo it. <laughs> you know, winning a golf tournament takes kind of a lot out of you coming off match play. And then there it was um, less is more again, try and move the needle 1% each day and, uh, and then just fall into the rhythm of the round. Like, to win this golf tournament, you don't have to, to be leading every single round. Just, just, it's going to be, you know, we knew it was going to be firmer and faster. We knew they were going to be a little upset at, um, DJ, um, in the fall getting to to whatever it was 20 under. And so it was, okay, this is likely no matter what happens, going to be less than 12 under par. Let's just set a goal for three each day. And then, um, if we beat that goal, we're going to win this golf tournament. I think that was the patience and kind of the, um, again, the less is more mentality was, was what I was focused on. Not any kind of like, Oh, I got to play well here. Cause I always play well here. I need a, I need to win here. Cause it's been, you know, I've had a lot of close calls and not done it in a while. And it, I really don't like when I get on that first tee, you know, as much as that thought, those thoughts can kind of be asked and you could then think about them in the media center or whatever it is. It was very much, you know, things are in a good place. Keep trusting what you're doing and you're going to have opportunities and then let's cash them. Well, looking ahead to Kiowa, um, you know, if I'm looking at this golf course, I, I think, you know, in recent years, the PGA Championship has been long, it's been narrow, it's been thick, rough. That doesn't scream Jordan Spieth golf course to me, despite, I know you finished third at Bethpage, but if I'm looking at Kiowa, I, th- I think I see a lot to get excited about. Do you have any experience with Kiowa or what, what's kind of your expectation headed into the PGA Championship this month? I don't, um, I've, I've never played it. What Roy, I mean, Rory won it by eight shots, I think. I remember watching that. I think it was 2012. But I'm, I know it's Bermuda and I know there's wind and those are two things that I like to see going into a golf course. And then, you know, depending on the weather, it's, it's likely going to be, have the opportunity to play firm. And then those closing holes, I mean, those closing holes are what you think about it. That 17th hole is mean, that par three, uh, you know, it's just one of those courses where it's not going to be over until you get onto that 18th green, uh, that 72nd green, I should say. And I like that. I like that going into it, um, especially feeling confident driving the golf ball. Um, from there, you know, distance control in the wind is something that, you know, I've, I've had to learn to do in Texas growing up. And I feel like it's um, an advantage in my game. And, uh, and so I think, you know, again, put the ball in the fairway and then let that, that skill that's been developed over a lot of years, that, that iron distance control kind of work its way in. And it doesn't seem like you're going to have to shoot you know, 16, 17 under it look, you know, just by, and this is all, again, I haven't been on property, but this is just kind of looking at it from 30,000 feet. It's, it's just get some momentum this next week here in town and then roll in uh, with as much confidence as I've been kind of going into tournaments these days. 
Well, listen, I'm not trying to channel any, any of that excitement, but it is past Palom grass. I don't know how much experience you have on is past Palom. Yeah, it's it's similar it, it to plays, Bermuda. Yeah, yeah, it plays similar. It plays grainy. Um, it can play firmer. That's what you see along the ocean, so that makes sense. I'm honestly not sure how to ask this question, but I think you'd be a great guy to ask in this regard because I would consider it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like you've made a, a, a plethora of money both on and off course in your career. You're young, you're married, you're you know incredible at golf. Do you ever even ask yourself uh, what motivates you, right? I mean, I, when you get to the point where you're at, where Rory's at, where Justin's at, where you know, you're, you're young and you have this much money and you know, you've had a lot of success, I, just, I, I sometimes wonder when I'm watching, when things aren't going great, why you stress yourself out. I know you're, it's competitive is probably <laughs> the answer, but you, know, you see what I'm getting at here as to like, what, yeah. what you, why, why let yourself be so stressed when you have things so great? Uh, and I'm just wondering what that balance is kind of like for you, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, you know, it's um, it's such a crutch to lean on in such a unhealthy way. If you're struggling and you're like, oh, it's fine, I'm I'm not going to have to worry about money, so it's it's no big deal. It's such a crutch and it's such an inhibitor to actually getting out of a funk. And I ran into that. I mean, you know, as I think a lot of people do that are in, you know, somewhat similar positions, you run into it a little and then you realize it's just, it's such an ego oriented mindset that's so unhealthy for trying to, um, to find mastery in your sport. And I, and, and I'm using very common golf psychology terms. It's really, it's not difficult for me to play each round as if that's my first tournament ever. I don't find it difficult because the game is, and as you know, it can't be perfected and it's just so much fun when you start to get on the right side of momentum in the sport and you start to contend and compete with the best in the world. And we get to play the best golf courses in the world. Not only do we not have to pay, we get paid to play the best golf courses in the world with the best players in the world. And then you start to get some momentum and you're like, wow, I can beat these guys too. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like a drug. It's so addictive. And I think that's, that's the drive. And I think that, you know, what you can struggle with a little is getting into that, how you spend it and getting kind of, you know, lavish because that's what society says that young people with money should do. But it's like, man, if you can still, it's actually easier for me at tournaments um, than it is at home to, to kind of feel that, that drug, that kind of, that search for that mastery when you kind of get on the road and you're, and, and then it's more similar um, to how it used to be. Well, on that front, you know, if we're going to talk about, you know, the, the, the riches that you've enjoyed, I, I want to talk about your foundation some too, because it's honestly, I, I got to say, I, you may not be taking enough credit for all the things your foundation's doing, just scrolling that on your website and all the all the places, all the all the charities that have benefited from your foundation. I'm wondering if you could kind of take us there as to what uh, what that's been like. Yeah, that was um, I think 2014 was when it was established, and it's been really fun. I mean, it's been it's been super cool. I was always pretty hesitant with it because my hero growing up here in Dallas was Dirk Nowitzki, and Dirk, you know, I'm sure he donates millions of dollars to charity as he should. And, and everybody in similar position should he always, uh, for, I think it was like 15 years, he would go close to Christmas and he would 
dress up as Santa and go to the children's hospital here in Dallas. And he would go around to the different rooms and say hi and talk to the kids and all that. And he never had it. Only the only people that knew were the people at children's that he was coming and doing it. And he would tell them like three days before and he didn't want it on the news. And finally, you know, one year they were like, please, please, we want this. You know, the people at children, please, we want this to be out there. So other people see this. It's such a great deed that you do. It was just like, it gives me chills thinking about like, do it, like talking about it right now, about him doing that for no reason other than he thought that that was going to bring joy to those kids that day. Like he did it with, with not only, not only um, not having media there to, to be, to, to show that he's doing it, but purposely trying to avoid media being there. I just thought that that, you know, when he did something like, I'm like, man, this is, so I always thought that that was going to be the best way to do things. And then I just kind of bit into, you have this platform, you've got sponsors that want to be a part of it. Um, your platform itself can raise awareness. In other words, I had kind of always looked at it as I'd rather do that Dirk route, but then um, I'm really glad that I've gone, you know, and, and certainly done things like that, but also established the, this foundation where, um, where we can actually use that platform to help raise funds, also, you know, self-fund it and, and truly make a difference. Um, and it's just been, it's super cool. I mean, we had three, uh, pillars and then Annie came in and she really wanted to, to use childhood cancer as well. And that's been an awesome, awesome shift for us too, to add that fourth pillar. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we do one fundraiser a year, every year. And other than that, we have sponsors and self-funding and, um, and it's been dozens of organizations now. We're trying to simplify it into bigger gifts to smaller, a smaller number of, of groups that we want to partner with for a number of years. And I think that's kind of what the future um, of it looks like right now. Hmm. Well, I, I encourage people to go to jordanspeedgolf.com and read that about the foundation. I think that's, that's uh, is very impressive stuff. All right, next up, our speed round brought to you by AT&T. And I promise we are going to let you out of here. Uh, all right. What's a, what's a tournament. It can be anywhere in the world that you've never played that you'd love to play someday. Man, I would say probably like, um, one of those, uh, European events in Spain that always looks like that'd be fun to travel to. Have you played a Scottish or Irish before? I've not played the Scottish, but I've played a lot, most of the golf courses that they're on. So I didn't include that. And that is, did come to mind. Hmm. The Irish would be a, would be a good one. That one, I'd love to see that one become a WGC or something. <laughs> yeah, I think I, that'd be awesome. I think the Irish, I think Ireland itself, not only from a golf perspective, but I think it's so underrated. Hmm. What's a golf course you've never played that you'd want to play? What's the first one that comes to mind? County Down, right on the same boat. Um, I have not played County Down. There you go. Non-12 at Augusta edition. What's the one mulligan you'd like to take on any one particular <laughs> shot in your career? Can I pick one of the shots on 12 at Augusta that year or <laughs> I could go somewhere else? Um, I hit a ball um, out of bounds on the fifth at Riviera on Sunday, maybe three or four or five years ago. And I lost the tournament by a shot and I would, it's a dream come true for me to win at Riviera. It might be my favorite golf course in the whole world. It was like a th- three wood or a hybrid. I mean, just a dinky little shot down there that didn't mean much. And I hit it out of bounds <laughs> like five years ago and I, I lost my shot. That's the one that comes to mind. 
I was I was thinking you might go either one of the putts on uh, I forget which day it was was it Saturday at, at St Andrews on number eight you four putted number eight oh yeah that if you, well do, do I get an automatic made putt or do I well if you if you over? get to redo it, the first putt and you're able to lag it close and you well, save two shots you might win the British Open do you want seventy feet with the wind blowing thirty no, miles an hour I don't want any snaking? of that smoke okay no. all right, all right. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> but uh, yeah I could probably get it in in less than four yeah. and uh, and get in the playoff that's a good point yeah so, I actually yeah. to be honest I'd actually take back I'd either take back that same day I'd take back either my putt on seventeen I had about a five footer I think that I missed. Or really, my wedge shot on eighteen. Yeah, um, I spun it into the Valley of Sin. That's what it's called, right? Yes. Valley of Death, Valley of Sin, Valley of Sin. Well, yeah. uh, I would I would have known what it was called if my putt didn't lip out and it actually went in. Someone would have told me. But yeah, that that little stretch there, that little thirty minutes, that little like uh, fifteen minute stretch, I I could do over. Well, you did have the bomb that you made on on sixteen that helped contribute yeah. to that. But I was gonna say you get to recall one shot that was hit against you. It can be either match play or a stroke play in the <laughs> tournament. One shot that somebody else hit. That you're like, dude, if please try that again. You get to recall one. Does, does one come to mind? Uh, first thing that came to mind was I, that playoff against DJ when he cut that big corner in New York and the Barclays, um, he didn't know in the first playoff, actually it was regulation. I was playing with him. He didn't know he could cover it, but the wind had changed. And so he could cover it and he went right and he almost lost. Um, I almost won because of that. And then I'm like, if we go back to, I'm like, I teed off first and hit the fairway and. I see him step and line up 30 degrees further left. I'm like, oh, no. It's just went. I got to hit seven iron into here. He's got flip wedge. That's the one that comes to mind. He also would probably take back one that, that he certainly let me have there at Chambers Bay. So I would. Uh, you guys yeah. are square. You're square there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Most embarrassing moment you've had on a golf course as a professional? Man. I think um, in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, when it was at when it was at Pebble, I, I I laid up a four iron and it went on number eight and it and it by the way it's like a hybrid that's short of the in the tournament in the AT and T Pebble Beach but in the U S Open it was so firm my four iron went through and I had on the tee I was like Michael I can hit this as hard as I want right he's like yeah you can you can hit it as hard as you want to and it went through and then I hit an eight iron which I was like hey this is you know, we can't go over the screen this good club right which again. Both of these are like, I'm hitting the shot. I know the information. I know I don't have to rip them. I'm trying to force it a little bit. And I end up making like a double or a triple. And I, I kind of, um, went off on Michael and it all got caught on camera and, and microphone. And I, after that round, I saw it and I had never been more embarrassed for myself ever. I was like, wow, that not only does that look bad, it was bad. And boy, I mean, I was upset, but that was just, that was awful. And actually later that year, um, in China, they always do the caddy, um, caddy of the year. They have a big dinner spread and caddies are all drinking and, um, and it's really fun. They get a comedian to come do it and, and it's a great time. And they, they brought, they were like, well, caddies, some caddies had good years. Some took abuse and they played that clip and I was in the back <laughs> of the room and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> I grabbed a beer and left. I was like, Oh, I can't watch this again. And, uh, anyway, that, that's it. Lesson learned. All right. Last one. And we're going to get you out of here. What are you most proud of in your career? Hmm. Probably. Um, and, and I can't say it's something that didn't come naturally. I can't say it's something I worked on, but I would say my fight 
I think without the com- and not a competitiveness isn't the right term because it's more like the rebound, like ability to rebound. I think is what I'm most proud of. Ability to be able to say, all right, that was that was a mess, and then have a bounce back stat be one of my best stats every year. I think is um, I can I can be most proud of that. That says I'm able, no matter how upset I get, I'm able to shut it off, and I'm able to just really grind it out and get right back on track. Um, the next hole, I think, uh, and, and, and I think that just encompasses like, that's how you win golf tournaments. Um, so if I'm going to say like, I'm most proud of winning the masters, it's like, well, what happened that week that, that allowed that to happen? Well, there were certainly times that came up where you needed that, that fight. Um, and you have to have it to win. And, uh, and when it's going poorly, how do you squeak by the cut line? So you get two more rounds and you can work on something. And I feel like and there's just I, I just don't ever give up on on a round, and I think that that's probably what I'm most proud of. All right, we are going to finally let you go, man. Thank you so much for uh, all the insight and uh, and everything, man. I'm pumped to see uh, pumped to see you at the AT and T this coming week and the PGA Championship and all the weeks coming up. But uh, really appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Sully. Always. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.